It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, the Horn. Beautiful Wednesday morning to you. Hope your day is off to a good start, or maybe it's just now getting started. Or maybe you've come a, come off that evening shift, the overnight, the graveyard, whatever you want to call it, and maybe you went and grabbed yourself some breakfast or something. You're just now down to powering down. All understandable. Whatever your situation may be, hope it's going well. Welcome to Light the Tower. On the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. Glad to have you with us. Jeff Howe will be along in a little bit. He had let us know relatively early. He's been caught up in some really nasty uh, traffic that's coming off uh, some uh, uh, big wreck or something or big traffic snarl down in uh, Hayes County. So he'll uh, he'll be along uh Hopefully, Pierre pretty soon, and said and said he's he, he'll be here in a little bit. So, uh, we'll have him here. Our producer, who is always here, is here again. That's Cameron Parker. How's your morning going? Not too bad, Craig. How about yours? Good. Yeah, good. Uh, uh, th- this gets to the time of year uh, for me where it's this great dichotomy, and I'm I'm uh, very very fortunate and blessed and happy uh and and just you know lucky and all kinds of combinations of all those good things good fortune things to be in a position where i have to uh diligently prepare for uh another trip this week and excited about that uh coming off the uh, trip to south florida and uh, the longhorns sweeping through the coral gables regional and winning that regional uh, winning all three of their games and now they get ready uh to leave tomorrow and i'll be leaving with them tomorrow to go to palo alto california uh where uh, they will uh, have their uh, ncaa uh, mandated press conference and and on field practice at klein field at sunken diamond there on the farm, as they like to say, in Palo Alto there at Stanford, uh, there in uh, Northern California. And uh, that'll be on Friday. And then uh, game one of the NCAA Super Regional Course is Saturday afternoon, 5 o'clock, Texas against Stanford, which you'll be able to hear right here on the horn. And we'll be on the air at 445 in the first pitch at 5 o'clock, Texas time. So that that will be the case. So I'm, I'm preparing for all of that. And then, of course, we'll we'll see what the start time is for Sunday. That hadn't been announced yet. And then, of course, if it gets to an if necessary third and final rubber match decisive uh, third game of that Super Regional Series on Monday, they'll announce the start time at uh, whatever time they get around to announcing that. So, uh, you know, preparing for that trip. At the same time, uh, certainly with an eye toward – the possibility if the team performs well enough 
to go to Omaha for the College World Series, which would be a third consecutive trip. And, and of course, they're in their third consecutive Super Regional, and they're in their Super Regional for the fourth time in the last five full seasons of baseball played. Because remember, 2020, obviously, uh, the, the shutdown came. They were 14-3 and three at the time and looking really, really good at the time that the shutdown happened. So, uh, so there's, but, but they're in the uh, supers now for the fourth time in these past five uh, full baseball seasons. And in, in the other occasions, in 18 and 21 and 22, they went on to advance to the College World Series. So, uh, if that happens, and I know what what entails that in terms of the planning and the packing and the equipment stuff and all of those kinds of things. All right, so that's one side of it. Here's the dichotomy part of it. Uh, as folks know who have listened uh, to me over the years, both at the other place and then here for uh, the past now six years, time flies, been here for six years, but um, uh, also when I get to the tail end of June, late June, into the first couple of weeks of July is when is when I'm out. The the annual, as many have taken to calling it, sabbatical. Uh, the um, two and a half weeks. It's between two and a half three weeks, depending on the year and in the destination. Uh, that you know, and and I always you know go back and I see uh, friends and relatives there in North Carolina, but then spend most of my time really on the on the coast of North Carolina. Uh, now I'll you know work some other things into it, some some baseball or some historical sites or things like that. Uh, but it's mainly spent on the North Carolina coast. That's where, you know, where where I uh, got married last summer. So uh, I actually got married in Myrtle Beach in South Carolina, but but spend time all along that area in the Grand Strand area. So that's in the back of my mind. So Linda and I have been trying to put some plans forward for that. Uh, but, again, the dichotomy, the nice sliding scale is the, the possibility of having to shove some things back further if the team – continues on the roll. Now, I'm used to that, and I've had to zip back and forth, you know, after when it was all said and done, uh, get back here to Austin, then then take off uh, for the coach. So I'm fully prepared and would certainly welcome it all that. But that's that's kind of where my mind and the, and the plans and stuff going on, even as I get ready and plan for this uh, Super Regional. So that's why you asked how things have been going for me. That's, that's what it's been like the last week or so. Is it a bit of a relief knowing that – you only have possibly maximum maybe three more work trips because Palo Alto, Omaha, and then maybe Dallas for the Big 12 media days? Yeah, and and, and then that's a completely backside thing. That comes – that's once you crest the hill of vacation uh, after Palo Alto and after, and after vacation. Then when I come back from vacation, I've always said this for people who said, you know, when do you sleep? When do you go on vacation? Blah, 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 blah. Do you ever have time? Yes, I have that one window – that one slot that happens right around, like I said, late June into uh, right around the 10th of July, usually right around that time. Uh, I think I, I said to somebody the other day that I think that in the past uh, 25 years of living down in this area, I think I have spent three Fourth of July's here mm. in the state of Texas. All the other ones have been back east because it's the one time when I can really take the vacation. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, uh, when I come back, that's when I really look at it almost. You know, businesses today they do the whole fiscal year thing where they when the when the fiscal year ends and then it begins again. Um, for me, 
the brand new calendar really begins when I get back from vacation with Big 12 media days. Now, I missed Big 12 football media days for only the second time since the existence of the Big 12 conference. Uh, and and uh, I missed it last year. I, I had a note from the teacher. I got married. Okay, mm-hmm. I was I was a little I was, busy. I, I okay. was a little busy, so I got married. So I, I was there for that. However, uh, I'll I'll be there because obviously it'll be the final time that Texas and Oklahoma will be in the Big Twelve media days there. So I I will be in Arlington for that. But that starts the new clock for me. You might say the new academic and athletic calendar year really begins for me with Big Twelve media days because right after that I go straight to Houston for the coaching convention. Mm-hmm. Texas High School uh, Coaches Association's annual coaching school. And I uh, moderate uh, a panel discussion, the Division I college football coaches panel discussion, where they get every single Division I uh, FBS football coach in the state of Texas up on the stage and one thing. And, you know, when we, uh, and it's a panel discussion, we hit topics and take questions from coaches and things like that. Uh, there's that. I, I uh, also emcee their Hall of Honor banquet. Uh, where they induct the new coaches and some real recognizable names going into their Hall of Honor uh, uh, this year, and uh, you know, so and then there's a thing called the Coaching Academy that I uh, also MC and moderate, uh, where they have a list of distinguished speakers that talk, and and it's really kind of a seminar just for assistant coaches who really want to be head coaches. And what does it take to do it? How do you interview properly, administrative things, all of the, the, the tools to help prepare for these guys to prepare for taking that next step in their coaching lives? So it's, it's a fascinating deal. And then added to that this year, to open the convention, they have gotten as their guest speaker, Mac Brown. Oh, So Mac's coming in and... Uh, Mac asked him, instead of me giving some long-winded, stuffy speech, was his words, can we just get Craig up there with me? I mean, he and I can just chat and take questions and stuff, so we'll have some fun with that. So all of that, so all of that's part of like when that next calendar year for me really kind of begins, because it really goes from July to June back around for me. So that's when I get back into the football mindset. That's when I say you start seeing the milepost, the mile markers uh, that are coming up. One of those, by the way, I know this will be of, of, of interest to fans. I've done it every year for like the last 25 years or so. I'll have to go back and get the actual year on this. But I think it's 25 years now is when we get the shipment of Dave Campbell's Texas football mm-hmm. magazines. And we will be giving away free copies on the air, and on our website at hornfm.com. That's around the corner. It's not far away, so we're going we're gonna to do that. So, uh, so that's, that's another one of those mileposts. When the magazine comes out, Big 12 Media Days, when it happens, coaching convention, those, those mileposts, those mile markers for the advent of the coming football season, both for college and high school, and then ultimately the NFL as well. And I saw the covers that was released for yes. coming up. Coach Samples, awesome to see him on the cover. Yep, yep. He's on the fold inside cover is uh, Reginald Samples, the coach at Duncanville, finally got his state championship. Sonny Dykes is on the main cover uh, there. Sun, S-O-N, Sun Rising, I believe is the uh, title on that. So, And, of course, Mike Craven from DCTF was in here uh, with uh, Aaron uh, co-hosting this morning. Always great to see Mike as well. And um, so that's, you know, we're, we're – just around the corner from all of it, crank it up again, and I know everybody will be excited about it. But, but that doesn't mean there aren't substantive things to discuss, and there certainly are substantive things to discuss. Have, have, 
I know your head, like so many others, was exploding yesterday with with the announcement of the PGA Tour and the Live Golf uh, Ultimate Merger coming in. Uh, now that you've had a time being the the big uh, golf follower, devotee, aficionado that you are, uh, pro golf uh, tour of that, as well as just playing golf and loving golf. Uh, now that you've had a chance to absorb the the impact, the shock wave, like so many uh, others had yesterday, and then we've heard from Rory McIlroy this morning, mm-hmm. and it was kind of a I don't want to say it was a muted response, but it was cer- certainly it was less vitriolic certainly than anybody thought it might be in terms of that so now that you've had a chance here's here's one of those uh words over the past couple of decades we've gotten accustomed to saying now that you've had a chance to process it Mm -hmm. what are are your follow-up thoughts now this was always going to happen i think the future of golf was going to be this quote merger and when you really look at the details from it craig it's not really live merging with the PJ Tour, it, it's more so at Saudi, Saudi wanted to get a seat at the table in the American sports arena. And for a long time, you know, we've heard this word sports washing, right? We see it in Formula One where, you know, they have races there, they have events there, and they've been slowly trying to get their, you know, weasel their way into it. But of course, with all the 9 11 stuff, there's been a lot of backlash for it. And they've had tournaments in Saudi Arabia before, but they've always kind of been there in. Basically, the whole point of Live Golf wasn't really to, you know, grow the game as Phil Mickelson and Ian Poulter and Lee Westwood said. It was because they just wanted the seat at the table. And now they use Live as kind of a stepping stool to become part of that. And really now, Saudi Arabia and the public investment fund that's worth, you know, reportedly trillions of dollars is now going to be a huge sponsor of the PGA Tour. They're probably going to have PGA Tour sanctioned events in Saudi Arabia. So the frustrating thing for me is we, we've heard Jay Monahan, who, you know, he had this big speech last year saying, you know, for those who joined Live, well, at least with the PGA Tour, you don't have to apologize for where you work because those who are on Live had to apologize, so to speak, for playing in Saudi Arabia. Well, now he just partnered with them, right? So basically all, all of the stuff he, he said and he's just kind of walked back because, well, money talks. So I think eventually this was going to happen. I just didn't foresee it happening like that yeah correct me if i'm wrong do is your feeling now that the biggest i don't know if it's the biggest problem but in the initial response one of the larger issues for the not only for the golfers but for those who follow golf and around golf was Everybody referring back to all the announcements and pronouncements that Jay Monahan did. Mm-hmm. That, for example, uh, I saw. Uh, I watch all the local sportscasts every night. I, I watch. Uh, I I'll watch one live and DVR the other ones. So I watch. You know, I watch KXAN. I watch KI. I watch uh, KVU and I watch uh, Fox Seven. So um, I watch all of those, and. Uh, all of the guys who are anchoring sports, I think, do a fine job of uh, uh, and did a fine job of explaining all of this and the way it was going to go down. Uh, Jeff Jones at KVU kind of went as far as to kind of deliver a commentary on it, and he was obviously, um, you know, displeased with it and and uh, talked about it, you know, being blood money and things like that. Uh, we've heard from other places as well, but the reason why I bring up his his particular sportscast as an example is because. 
he aired all those video clips that were dated with Jay Monahan. Look at uh, talking, you know, in June of 2022, fall of 2022, January of 2023. Then, like even as recent like a month or so ago, something like that. So, my vibe, my impression of this is that so many people are upset about you said this for the past year plus and we've got it on tape and here it all is and now you're doing this that that's that whole betrayal thing i think that that a lot of folks are feeling about this obviously it most directly affects the golfers themselves but for the consuming public there's there's a a, a bit of you know folks who were uh, really upset about it. and and you and probably E. Hogan, you, you and Aaron are probably the most outspoken on these airwaves about how you felt about the whole live golf thing over the past year. I know that. But, but I do find it interesting that Jack Nicholas basically said, you know, this has been going on for three years. Mm-hmm. For most people, maybe it's only one year. But this has been yeah. this has been rolling for three years on that kind of thing. But, but like I said, you and Aaron have probably been as outspoken uh, in your opposition to it, I think, as anybody else about that. So that's why I was trying to – kind of get your pulse on this based on all of that video that we see of the commissioner of the PGA Tour denouncing, denouncing, denouncing Live Golf, and now, hey, we got a new deal. You yeah. Know, that kind of thing. No, 100%. And a big reason why I'm so anti-Jay Monahan is because as the commissioner of the PGA Tour, you know, you see Adam Silver, you see Goodell, you see Buck Selig. These guys maybe aren't the most liked, but you see them make public appearances and you see them talk. Jay Monahan's given what I believe like two press conferences in the past year, and he used Roy McIlroy, he uses Justin Thomas, he uses John Rahm to go out in into as even a, Tiger as a Tiger as as a mouthpiece to kind of you know make the stand up of don't go to live you know you know defend your legacy here in the tour don't take the blood money don't fall for sports washing and then the whole time at the whole time for the last couple months he's been doing the same exact thing and you mentioned you know this didn't just happened overnight this has been happening for a handful of years and we're in this position because jay monahan refused to meet with other ventures who wanted to create a new golf league before live golf there was the premier golf league which is the same idea and a lot of things that live uses was taken from it but they came to jay monahan and said hey let's partner let's create a, a separate league that is with the pga tour that allows us to have team events etc cetera, etc cetera. and jay monahan Shut the door in their face. Said, we, we don't need you. We're fine. We're good. The water's fine over here. J- just stay over there. And it what happened? It wasn't. It, d- it didn't work because Saudi Arabia now they realized they found an opening and they had the money that the PGL investors did not have. They did not have the PIF the deal. They didn't have not have billions and that's trillions a of dollars. Huge part of all of this. Yeah, and because of that, and that's what got them at the table was because basically Jay Monahan could not decline the money that Saudi Arabia offers. And so, for, you know, for those uh, for, for those who's been against sports watching, well, I mean, now if you're if you're been a PGA Tour defender, I mean, basically, it's you're just gonna have to suck it up, rather deal with it, because unless you don't watch golf, because now sports watching has completely taken over the game of golf across the entire world. Yeah, uh, Stoner on the uh, Specs text line, and we always offer the Specs text line open to you three three seven. Three seven seven six five one two three three seven three seven seven six. Stoner says that this started really in earnest five years ago with the PGL. Yeah. It, so give, give some background on yeah, that. Yeah, the, the Premier Golf League. So basically, what I just said was it was just a, uh, it wasn't a separate league. It was offered 
to Jmon and the PJ Tour uh, as a team sanctioned events that would be a part of the PJ Tour schedule. And Jay Monahan would not meet with them. He he was not interested. He thought that the way the PJ Tour was structured was fine and everything was going great when, you know, obviously it wasn't. And eventually he kept saying no. And Greg Norman and the Saudis got involved and they said, well, let's just take the same concept that the PGL has, the Premier Golf League, and create our own league. And instead of working with the PJ Tour, since they don't want to work with us, let's just go ahead and start taking the Phil Mickelsons, the Brooks Kepskas, the Bryson DeChambeaus, and create our own league and basically this this rough golf. And it did. I don't I don't think a lot of people saying, well, you know, live one and everything. I don't know if live one because the product wasn't great. The TV ratings were abysmal. I mean, you had to watch it either on the YouTube for three dollars, you had to download the CW app. You had Did you do all that? I did not. I did not. But what did work was that it did disrupt golf, whereas the Saudi Arabias and in, in, in the PIF, the Public Investment Fund, got a seat at the table, and now they're going to be working hand-in-hand. Hand. I mean, they're going to have a board spot. The uh, the governor, I can't say his name, Al Usum or whatever right. it is, or Usum Al something, he's going to have a board seat on the PGA Tour with mm-hmm. Jay Monahan. Yeah, that's true. Um, there's a couple of texts here. And, and this is going to get into my other point on this. And then we'll, we'll be uh, taking a break. We do have our usual uh, offering, so we're not going to be just talking about this for two hours. So trust me on that. Um, we've, get, we've got a Longhorn Notebook coming up. We'll have that. We do have Inconceivable. Uh, we do have um, uh, another a Longhorn Notebook and a uh, Flex 30 update coming up next hour as well. And there's a lot of other things to get to as well. But uh, just to, to – kind of uh, uh, speak to a couple other points about this. Um, T-Bone, for example, on the Specs text line says, I see nothing wrong with showing the receipts. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's sad, but I mean, who among us is surprised? Uh, There's that. Somebody else said the collapse has started. The PGA let a foreign government take them over who are terrorists and murderers, all for the almighty dollar. Hope Americans boycott the tour and all who support this merger. And then Stoner says the PIF has over $600 billion in it, dragging out litigation to expose the PGA Tour's ridiculous nonprofit protection at any cost was always Mm -hmm, the plan. So so now we're seeing all the other sidebar elements to this. Uh, Obviously, it's going to be at the top of the list for many, many people, and that's the human rights questions, the questionable involvement in Mm -hmm. certain things, uh, as well as... Uh, a lot of the things with the Saudi government. Okay, there's there's that. And that's that's a pretty big biscuit right there. Okay, so there's that. Then there's the money. And then there is the quote-unquote restraint of trade that many felt the PGA was doing to it. There are certain elements, certain, uh, a few common elements when I've read about all of this, uh, especially over the last 24 hours. And um, if you separate, and this is an extremely difficult thing, it's going to be an extremely difficult thing for folks to separate this part from it, and I, I totally get it. I'm just using a numerical example here. If you were to separate the quote-unquote foreign government involvement on this, and you looked at it straight from the money side of it. And you say, how can you do one without the other? I mean, because after all, it's the foreign government that's, you know, where all the other money is. But 
if you're talking about there's so many um, nuanced uh, uh, historical comparisons to what happened, and people know that I I really am a, a student of the history of collegiate and pro sports and high school sports as well. I, 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 uh, I'm a firm believer in that. I think it was the Benjamin Franklin uh, line about uh, you have to know where you've been before you can know where you're going, you know, that kind of thing with, with regard checking our past. The old, then there's the old, those who do not uh, learn from the mistakes of the past are condemned to repeat it. There's that. But in studying the history of how rival professional sports leagues sprang up, the two that come most to mind to me were the AFL in yeah. 1960 and the ABA. Yep. Now, the ABA uh, was Gary Davidson's project. He's the same guy who who started up the World Football League in the mid-'70s. Um, but it, that came out of uh, him just, you know, wanting – uh, initially a franchise. And a lot of times it comes from that, just wanting a seat at the table, as mm-hmm. you pointed out. Uh, so, And then the ABA, of course, was around for nine years. And now it went away with the four teams, uh, Indiana, New York, San Antonio, the New York Nets, uh, San Antonio, and, of course, one of the NBA finalists this year, the Denver Nuggets, in the uh, moving into the NBA. And this is Denver's first-ever appearance in the NBA finals. Uh, they did go to the final ABA finals back in 1976, so this is only their second time they've been in a, a pro basketball, uh, pro league, American professional sports league basketball championship series. But uh, the AFL, there are some interesting and curious threads and connections between what's happening now and what happened back then. The AFL began because Lamar Hunt wanted an NFL franchise. He wanted an NFL franchise. Uh, and the NFL stonewalled him and, and would not get, he tried to buy the Chicago card. First, he wanted an expansion franchise. And George Hallis, the power broker that he was, uh, not only as the coach and, you know, an owner and everything with the Chicago Bears, but also a big piece of the NFL's uh, ironclad running the way they did. And this was both, right before Pete Rozelle came in to being uh, and, and uh, as the commissioner just stopped him at every turn. Yeah. So then he tried to buy the Chicago Cardinals. He thought he had a deal with Violet Bidwell, who was the wife of the the widow of uh, Charles Bidwell, the original owner of the Cardinals. That got shut down. So at that point, 26-year-old Lamar Hunt is flying home from Chicago after being rebuffed again and then said, why couldn't I just do this on our own? And then he figured it out, and the AFL sprang from that. Uh, The point of this is is to say that because of certain individuals or entities being stonewalled by the PGA in terms of wanting a larger cut of the pie or an initial seat at the table, however, whatever phrase you care to choose, that's how things like this start up sometimes. So, you know, it it happened with the AFL, it happened with the ABA and uh, with with a PGA Tour and Live Golf, it's – it's a different world now. And you, you mentioned all those lawsuits going on. There's an antitrust lawsuit, anti-competitive lawsuit going on between Liv and the PJ Tour. All that goes away mm-hmm. because of this new agreement. Now, I'm curious, you know, a lot of people have been thinking, well, isn't it anti-competitive 
if PJ Tour just buys up all the professional golf across the world? Well, you just mentioned two cases in the sports realm where that didn't happen with the NFL purchasing the AFL and the NBA purchasing the ABA. Yeah, yeah. The by, NBA, the, by the way, uh, and here's some more, uh, like I said, we were going to get into some more uh, text on this. Somebody said it isn't just golf. Saudi Arabia is making big moves. They're getting all the big footballers like Cristiano Ronaldo and Benzema, and they're offering uh, uh, Messi as well. Somebody else, I will boycott all PGA Tour events. <laughs> Somebody else said, uh, it, it, do not le- it's speaking rhetorically, he said, said, don't lecture me as a golf fan. If you watch the NBA, why is uh, Enos Cantor freedom blackballed? Uh, Feasance to, ch- uh, to China, pure and simple. Exactly. I, I, I get where a lot of folks are saying. And our good uh, friend and colleague, uh, Rodney Rodriguez, uh, host of uh, Revved Up uh, here on the, on the Horn, uh, texted in and said, this is like, and, and he's right, I remember this now. I was working in Dallas at the time at KRLD. This is like when CART and IRL had the big split, the Indy Racing League. It devastated IndyCar Racing, which at the time was the biggest form of motorsports in the country. Yep. It was because because F1 did not have the footprint, certainly not on the level that it has now, but it just didn't have the footprint in the U.S. They tried it in Dallas around the Cotton Bowl in 84, and it was a disaster. And it had been with, with uh, various small degrees of success in Long Beach and Detroit, a couple other places, but Indy racing ruled the open wheel racing it, it really did but cart and indycar and one of our big contributors when i worked at krld back in the day was johnny rutherford three-time indy 500 champion and he was uh, jr was living in fort worth and w- was on with us a lot and talked about the whole cart indycar split it was it was it was devastating in a lot so so there's there's all of that um and it was going that in that same direction craig but this this joint agreement kind of saves that Right, whereas who knows where golf was heading if if Liv and the PGA right. Tour can continue the butt heads, but now that goes away. Maybe maybe it was headed where this next texter said maybe Tiger will start his own tour. I know who would be happy with that. My co-host, the pride of Northwest Williamson County, proud graduate of Florence High School, and an avowed huge Tiger Woods fan. But you know him best for his outstanding work at Horns twenty four seven. That would be Jeff Howe. All right. So if, if if Tiger started his own tour, if he had the Tiger tour, would you be you be on board with Hell that? Hell yeah, I'd be there yeah. day one. <laughs> I knew you would. You'd be all about Tiger. Yeah. On that. Right now, I'm about to getting the notebook ready for the next segment. Okay. After my all right. Travels. I'm, I'm going to let you do that. You, you had some travails getting in, did you? It was it was nasty. nasty. It was one of those deals where I'm just kind of listening to the radio and uh-huh. you know kind of zoning out. And yes, I do text and work on the phone, so we're all guilty of it. Don't try to knock me too much. <laughs> but I'm like, man, I've been sitting here. I've been like crawling for a while and looked at my, the time. I'm like, dude, what is the deal? And the, nothing was showing. This, that, doesn't that just piss you off when you look at your traffic yeah. app and nothing's there? I'm yeah, like, and, and our good friend and colleague Don Miller is handling all the traffic. I heard nothing from him about the reports. Now, he yeah, uh, about stuff down south. Now, he mentioned the mess coming out of I-35 out of Georgetown, so I went toll road all the way around so, this morning. You, you're, you know where you had your fender bender when you had it in San Marcos uh, the whole yeah, time? Yeah, right there this by Aqua Arena probably, Springs. Yeah, this was probably, well, I actually thought yours was further back. Yeah, it was right at right after the Aqua Arena exit, which in that town's probably the worst place yeah. you can bottleneck things. Yep, right uh, in that area. Other than other than right around 123, it's, it's right up there. So I was yeah. like, why are we not moving? And then it's down to one lane, and there's fire trucks and ambulances, so... Yeah, it was a little rough. Uh, by little the rough. way, this has nothing to do with uh, the, with the Middle East or Saudi thing, but uh, CB says to you, "R.I.P. to the Iron Sheik." No, the Iron Sheik died. Apparently, 
Corning CD. No, that's Iron a rib, dude. Fat. No. That's what he says. R.I.P. to the Iron Sheik. You can't spring something like that on me, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Just went 81 years old, Jeff. Oh, dude, that is, man, the Iron Sheik has 99% of it I cannot repeat. One of the best Twitter <laughs> accounts out there. The Iron Sheik's Twitter account is awesome. That is that is sad, man. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, if folks want to continue to text in, uh, I know obviously this is a this is a really hot button topic for a lot of folks, and, and it's fine. And we'll we'll refer to those, uh, so we'll do that. But uh, but we've got some other things to get to, and, and our Longhorn Notebook is next up on the list. We'll do that when we continue to light the tower on the Horn 1049, 1019, AM twelve sixty. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and HornFM.com. Craig Webb and Jeff Howe light the tower. This is light the tower on the horn. Craig White, Jeff Howe with you. And we're with you up until the noon hour. He's now on the other side putting people in the camel clutch. Yeah. Breaking backs, making people humble. So the Iron Sheik has gone. Somebody said, in honor of the Iron Sheik, everyone please go put a family member in a camel clutch today. It's our friend John <laughs> in the Bay. So he's he's listening uh, at the Instagram campus this morning with some meetings there. Wow. Well done, John. Hope to see you there at the Super. The Instagram week. campus. Right. You know, App, that must be a California thing. Apple calls their, their uh, office campus. the campus. Yeah, Google. All that stuff out there. Google down there by Irvine there. I've seen their gigantic... Thing. Have you seen Apple's new release? The oh, I saw this uh, yesterday. Thirty-five hundred dollar VR about glasses, that. kind of. I heard about that, and 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 uh, I and then I also heard Ty talking about it yesterday morning uh, with Bucky and Aaron. He said, uh, "Well, Aaron said, well, apparently there's only a two-hour battery life." And Ty said, "You don't want to be on it for two solid hours." He said, "Your mind might turn to mush." Yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, my youngest son is big into the VR. Never have gotten into it. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 really big into that deal. He likes that as well. So, uh, anyway, uh, specs text line. I know a lot of folks are responding. Said no, not the Iron Sheik. Uh, and T Bone said what you said, Jeff. He's such a great Twitter follow. It's awesome. <laughs> I was giving you a little rundown yeah. of some of the things that uh, yeah. Sheiky would tweet over yeah. the years. Yeah. Uh, Somebody else, and when we were talking about this whole deal, just to clarify, actual slavery is legal in Saudi Arabia. So, I mean, this is the responses, obviously, that are coming in. And it's it said, forget about golf. EA College football 2024 is in jeopardy. So, is it really? I don't know. I guess it could be. I guess it could be um, off of that. So, a little specificity. Give us some more on that. In the meantime, we're going to give you our first hour Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. Let's talk about one of my favorite articles that comes out every year. Yes. By one of my colleagues at 24-7 Sports. It's Bud Elliott. He's been doing this for over a decade now. The blue chip ratio. Yeah. And Bud's theory is, basically, and he's not wrong, and I'll give you the, the rationale here in a minute. The blue chip ratio basically means to win a national championship, history shows you've got to recruit more five- and four-star players than you do two- and three-star players. Prospects. I mean, I just 
I need to correct myself. Prospects. I don't like when people say players. You're recruiting prospects because it's not if it were players, you would just be taking the best high school football right. players. But as we know, sometimes the best high school football players aren't the best prospects and so on and so forth. So basically, There's a difference between yes. a player and a prospect. Yes. And I think this just kind of shows you where the trends have gone in college football. So uh, I want to start from the bottom. So Bud basically runs this down going back to 2011. Uh, Alabama, shocker, had a blue chip ratio of 71%. 71% of their roster in 2012 and 2011 were blue chip guys, four and five star guys. Uh, in 2013, Florida State was your national champion. Their blue chip ratio, 53%, which is going to be the second lowest that we'll talk about here in just a second. Uh, we'll mention the lowest here in a minute. 2014, Ohio State, 68%. 2015, Bama again, 77%. Your lowest was Clemson in 2016, 52%. It helps when among that 52% is a transcendent quarterback like Clemson had with Deshaun Watson. Alabama won it in 2017 uh, with 80%. That 2017 Bama team, think about it. That was you had Tua... Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, those guys were freshmen. Alex mm-hmm. Leatherwood, those were freshmen playing significant or playing and or starting in the national championship game. Okay. Bama was at 77% uh, or 80%, excuse me, in 17. Clemson in 18, 61%. LSU in 2019, 64%. <laughs> Alabama in 2020, that offense, Sarcad, one of the best college football offenses we've seen in the last quarter century. Yes. 83% of their roster was five and four star guys. Georgia was at 80% two years ago, and Georgia was at 70% last year, 77% last year when they won the national title. So, who are the 16 programs, Craig, you might ask, that have a chance to win the national championship? You can go all the way down. Auburn at 51%. They're over the threshold. Now, they've got some challenges. They were not very good last year under Brian Harson. Mm-hmm. And Cadillac Williams for the few games he was interim. Mm-hmm. We'll see if Hugh Freeze can get that turned around. I'm sure that blue ship blue ship ratio is going to climb in right. Hugh Freeze. I have no doubt about that. Right. Uh, USC at 52 percent, Michigan at 54, Penn State at 55, Miami at 61 percent, Florida at 64 percent. You know, it's a common theme here. Like these are traditional blue blood programs yeah. that are all over the threshold. Uh, Notre Dame at 65 percent, Oregon at 67 percent, and then at 70 percent. Texas and Oklahoma, both 70% of their roster are blue chip guys. Now you go up from there, LSU at 71%, Clemson at 72%. The four, you want to take a guess who's got the fourth highest blue chip ratio in the country? Hmm. The uh, top three should be a dead giveaway. Well, well, the top three, I would see, say would be, in some order, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. <laughs> but Alabama won at 90%. Yeah. <laughs> like Nick Saban, unless you're a kicker or a punter, Nick Saban doesn't So who's take number two? <laughs> Ohio State, 85%. And three would be Georgia. Georgia, 77%. So number four is kind of, we're kind of doing this college football playoff thing where they go to the who's that four right. team. And you it, think, it, about, think about uh, a state where you've got a really fertile recruiting ground, and a conference that has a lot of cachet, and you think of all the schools I've mentioned, there's one I haven't mentioned yet. USC? No. See, you already said LSU. That's why I didn't. How um, about Texas A&M at okay. 73%? Okay. So talent, A&M fans, should technically not be your problem. I, I thought Rod was mentioning some of this yesterday. I think the issue with A&M right now is they've got talent. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think you can – you look at the, the numbers of guys they put in the NFL, I don't even think it's a talent development problem. They got a culture problem, a big culture problem that they got to figure out there. So Texas at seventy percent, the Longhorns are right in that mix to be in the. And it doesn't it doesn't guarantee you. And Bud even mentions this in the article. 
Mm-hmm. You, it just because you're, uh, and I, I'll give, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this paragraph. I'll read it verbatim, just so you can kind of put into context what all this means. Okay. And you can, by the way, this is on the front page at Horns Twenty Four Seven right now. You can go there and get it. You don't even need a subscription. It's a free article. Uh, that's not to say that development doesn't matter. It certainly does. But nobody wins a national title by player development in lieu of elite recruiting. Plenty of coaches who are regarded as elite have never sniffed winning at all because they cannot accumulate enough talent. Mm-hmm. I think we all know who who those schools are. Like Luke Fickle wasn't going to win a national championship in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Uh, just go on down the list. On the other hand, there are examples of coaches who are not regarded as premier head men who have won it all thanks to elite recruits. And here's the caveat with the names I'm going to mention, and okay. you'll understand. Not to lump them all into the same category. Again, not, saying up front, not to lump them all into the same category. But nobody ever accused Gene Chizik, Les Miles, Mac Brown, or Ed Orgeron of being tactical masterminds. Dare I say, Craig, one of these things is not like the other mm-hmm. in yeah. that group of four. Uh, so you know, there's no substitute for player. De- I mean, player development uh, is key. Culture is a huge part of it, but it, it stands with. It starts with, excuse me, if I can talk right today, it starts with recruiting elite prospects, and Sark has done that. What what makes me hopeful that this is actually going to mean something under Steve Sarkeesian, because where, when you look back at Texas in a blue-chip ratio, it had gone down under Mac to where I think by the time Tom Herman took the job, I think his first team at Texas, I want to say the blue-chip ratio was 46-47%. Wow. Yeah, you, more than half of your roster were not blue-chip guys at Texas. Uh, that's just and and part of that was you had a lot of attrition from that year coaching turnover. Remember, Tom Herman ran out a lot of guys that went on to Power Five programs and played significant snaps. And one guy in particular, Jordan Elliott, ended up getting drafted. So, you know, it does start with recruiting talent. But I'll never forget this, and it's interesting that a documentary is coming out, the Netflix documentary about the the two thousands Florida teams under Urban Meyer. Right. After he left Florida and left that program in shambles from the heights of where it is, and that's that's why that's a fascinating team. To and I want to see what this documentary is all about. Yes, you're gonna have the Tebow stuff, you'll have the Aaron Hernandez stuff, but like sure. how it peaked and how it just fell off a cliff really fast. Remember that year between when he was at Florida and the, when he took over at Ohio State, Urban Meyer was doing ESPN. Yeah, he was. Year? I heard him say this, and I, I, for some reason, it's always stuck with me. He said on the, one of those one of those uh, college game day sets. Yeah, yeah. He he said the the thing he realized about Florida where he went wrong was he said by the end, he said we got so consumed. He said and I got so consumed with acquiring talent that I forgot how to build a team. Wasn't taking that into consideration. Okay. So that means you can take talented guys, and we've seen this problem at Texas. But the talented guys have to fit into your program. Mm-hmm. They've got to be culture fits. They got to be scheme fits. They got to be fits academically, socially. They got to be able to handle it. And we heard Max say this for years, Craig. And he's—I I know he's told recruits this because recruits, even some recruits that ended up playing for him that had success at Texas that were all Americans. Mac even told some of those guys, he's like, "I don't know if Texas is the right place for you. I'm looking at your grades. I'm talking to your high school coach. I don't know if." You're talented enough to play here, but I don't know if this is the right place for you. Right. You need to think really hard about it before you commit to come here. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes coaches don't take that into consideration. And the problem at Texas has been, we saw this with Mac at the end, and we saw definitely saw it with Charlie, and to an extent with Tom Herman. By the end, there's so much pressure on you to win that you put the blinders on, and at that point, you're just, I got to get talent, I got to get talent, I got to get talent. Yeah. And then that's a problem that the next guy has to clean up. Yep. And Charlie had to clean up. That's Max why I mess. always talk about the, the current coach paying for the sins of the past. Yeah. 
Uh, Charlie had to clean up some of Mac's mess. Uh, Tom had to clean up some of Charlie's mess. And we know Sark had to clean up some of Tom's mess. So it's this it's this perpetual cycle. But I feel like Sark has not only recruited talented guys, but you look at their low attrition numbers, their low transfer numbers. Like if and Craig, you know that's being around this team. Like we've been around Texas teams that have won like the same number of games, mm-hmm. like eight nine games. And those were teams that were not fun. Some of those teams were not fun to be around. Right. The team last year that it was a fun group to be around. Right. Like you enjoyed going to do your job and being around these guys because they were fun guys to be with. And you could tell this is a group that genuinely likes coming to the facility every day. Uh, so from a culture standpoint, I think Sark's got it right. It just goes back to what I've been talking about is my overarching theme for the year. With all this talent, with the right culture, can Sark and this staff give this team the schematic advantage that they're going to need to get over the hump in those two or three tight games where the talent's going to even out and you need that little extra edge? Uh, can that put you over the top? But Texas, certainly, the, the talent is there. Even even though you might look, oh, Texas has 70% blue chips and Alabama's got 90%, look at where the blue chips for Texas are now. They're on the offensive line. They're at quarterback. They're at wide receiver. Uh, you've got some guys on the edge. You've got guys in the secondary. You've got now premium positions where you've recruited and cultivated talent that now is in a position to go help you win big. There you go. All right. I know uh, I got a little long-winded there. But. That's okay. Uh, I, I want to get into something next hour. We don't have to wait for the notebook to do it, but I, I want you to give some thought because the vibe I get from the past uh, and even just in this current day and time from a lot of fans is a, a struggle with the word culture uh, because – there are varying definitions and meanings of what it means in terms of a college athletic program, football, basketball, or baseball. Now, it is the buzzword for coaches, no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, but since like that drop we have, Nick Saban, tell me what it means. What does it all mean? You know, there's there, it means different things. So yeah. I, I want to get into that a little bit and, next time. And, yeah, somebody asked on the Specs text line, what makes for great culture? Yeah, yeah I do want to get yeah. into that because that's not – Yeah. I, I, what, one thing I've learned, Craig uh, – it's kind of, the definition of culture is kind of like the definition of pornography. You, you know what when you see it. I can't tell you what it is, but I know, know it when, when I, I see it. it. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the most fascinating responses that I get when I do that panel discussion. Yeah. And I'll bring it up again. I'll tell you right now. I'm going to bring up the word culture again because of the varied responses and definitions in these 12 Division One FBS coaches' minds when they're on the day. It's about what it really means. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so – it means little things and it means big things and, and a lot in between. So we'll, we'll get into more of that uh, next hour. Up next is Inconceivable when we continue with Light the Tower. On the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. Okay, here we go. Uh, with uh, some inconceivable for you here, um, you, you, I know that you're. Um, do the do, do the chairs get broken in here every day? Like I feel like I'm almost sitting on the floor right now. Think about the size of us individuals. These chairs can only take so much. But some days I feel like my head's about to touch the ceiling, and yeah. then like, the and I don't days. even think this is the same chair I sat in yesterday. I think this is a different chair. <laughs> it's kind of like that Sports Center commercial where you're sliding down LeBron, <laughs> sliding down in the, in the Scott, Scott Van Pelt. Took his He's chair. Got throne. He took the throne. No, oh, good luck finding your chair, LeBron. LeBron. Yeah, <laughs> that that deal. Uh, okay, fast food update. Uh, of course, Jeff has let it be known that he's not down with McDonald's. Ooh. 
Not a fan of McDonald's. He's yeah, not. The McRib season is about the only time. That's true. You are in for that. And in occasional breakfast. Okay. But you don't like their milkshakes, right? The, milk, the milkshake machine is always broken, and there's better places to get milkshakes anyway. Well, they better make sure they're not broken now. You ever get the milkshakes? Oh, yeah. Okay. How about this one? For the first time ever, McDonald's has, I present to you, Cam, a purple milkshake. Okay. All right. Purple. It's a unicorn frappe type it, deal? Uh, well, here's the deal. You know how Jeff has jokingly, jokingly said to us that he kind of took on the role of Grimace at, <laughs> yeah. at, at your high school, right? You said you felt that when you were in the all purple when you were yep. never it's a grimace shake is what it is. So Oh, uh, their stupid mascot? Yeah, yeah, ah. the the grimace. Yeah. It's it's a purple grimace shake that they say is inspired by Grimace's iconic color and sweetness. Iconic. Um now when you look at it, you can say, okay, it's a purple shake, so it's a vanilla shake with food coloring, right? Yeah. It's not. Huh? They say it is not. It's actually a blend of vanilla soft serve and mixed berry flavors. Hmm. And it's the first new flavor since they expanded their collection of shamrock shakes six years ago. Okay. This is the first new milkshake that McDonald's has. A, it's for the summertime. Uh, so they say it's a pretty unique shake uh, and, um, you know, you can rarely spot a berry shake on a fast food menu that isn't strawberry, it says. So um, it, it's there certainly to see uh, how it goes during the summer. Uh, also, uh, you talked about the frappe. The Oreo frappe has made a uh, return, grand return. And there's a buzz. Here you go, Jeff. There's a buzz of a cheesy jalapeno bacon quarter pounder. Say that again. The menu. Cheesy jalapeno bacon quarter pounder. I just think, look, I just think McDonald's, just stay in your lane like you're McDonald's. People are eating You would love to say a lot of that same stuff. You know, when Sonic rolls out some different things, she goes, stay in your lane. Ain't nobody, ain't nobody going to McDonald's <laughs> to try it. Cam, you ever go to McDonald's thinking, mm, I'm going to try some variety today? I'm going to have a salad no, today. No, you know what you know exactly. The same, the same thing every single time. It's just like. Hey, what this, is it you order again? Uh, McDouble. The last time I went, they had the two for six because I'm yeah. cheap. So if they have like a two for six yeah. or the three for ten, I'll usually get that. But usually okay. it's McDouble, some nuggets, and that's about it. At Chick-fil-A. Like Chick-fil-A might have a, a, a like a limited time item, and they'll rotate them. I get it. Okay. Let's go to Chick-fil-A. You know what you're getting. Yeah. Well, have a nuggets very or a sandwich. Menu. Nuggets or a sandwich. But, I, again, I don't know why people have to spend like 15 minutes in the drive-thru or talking through <laughs> something to figure out what they when want. they're getting their order taken to Chick-fil-A. I'm like, it's nuggets or a sandwich. Or maybe you want a salad that day. You're feeling you need to look watch out for your figure. Okay. Like, it shouldn't take you that long, should it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I didn't think you'd be going for this. But anyway, the Purple Grimace Shake coming soon to a McDonald's near you. Um, did you guys see the deal with the Yankees game last night? The Yankees-White yeah. Sox game? Yeah. Did you see it, Jeff? No. Horrific air pollution. Was that, Was this in New York? New York City. And it had nothing to do with New York City. Canadian wildfires. Oh, so, uh, you know, wildfire smoke just like shrouded the Northeast. And there was this this one photo. I'm trying to see if I can find it here. It was showing the Yankees, you know, Yankees White Sox game. And it was it was something else showing 
a pitcher on the mound for the Yankees in the sky just looked all kinds of apocalyptic. It looked really, really bad. I don't mean to to make light of wildfires and the severity that they do. But you're about to do. Right? You know what the Iron Sheik's last tweet was? What's that? In all caps, blank the wildfires. That's what he was referring to. That's what he was referring to, the wildfires. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, so, so here's here's how bad it was. You say, okay, how bad it could be? It's New York, right? I mean, they have stuff anyway. Smoke from the fires has periodically engulfed the Northeast and the Mid Atlantic for more than a week, raising concerns over the harms of persistent poor air quality. This is uh, the smoke has come down from more than a hundred wildfires burning in Quebec. So, New York City's air quality index at one point last night was above the 200 number. So what does that mean? It's a level that's very unhealthy. The city had the worst quality of any major metropolitan area, not in the United States, Jeff Howe, in the world. Seriously? In the world. It had the world's worst air quality. And then later, it had the second worst just after New Delhi, India. I was going to say, like, man, if you're... If you're beating New Delhi on anything that's got to do with air pollution. Yeah. Well, other... And, times and this, times the, are hard. Yeah. Other cities on the list uh, were Doha, uh, Qatar, uh, Baghdad, and Lahore, Pakistan. New Yorkers right there with them. Can I ask a dumb question at the risk of sounding dumb? Why is air, why is air quality in the Middle East so bad? Because they don't have pollution control standards. They're just like the, the oil fields and... Yeah. Refineries and whatnot. Okay. So that's. That makes sense. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure I was on the right track there. As a result, at least 10 school districts in central New York State canceled outdoor activities and events yesterday. Those activities included academic, athletic, and extracurricular events, while outdoor recess and gym classes were also canceled. Uh, So. Yeah, it's it was really really bad. The, Would you like uh, to know our air quality? Score? But they had the Yankees White Sox game last night. The yeah, air, what was the ours? air quality score in our Fairburg right now is forty eight. So we're 48. we're good. Okay, that's good. It's good to know. That's for sure. And this means the air quality index is forty eight, uh, which is similar to yesterday. Air quality is satisfactory and poses little to no health risks. So. Good. New York was two hundred, <laughs> above two hundred last Jeez. night. Worst in the world. Um. Got one more story here. You hang a banner for that? Uh, yeah, really. Put it in the garden, right? <laughs> uh, you have a cat, right? Yes, I do. How old's the cat? He's probably nine. Okay. When did you, I mean, how did you come about getting the cat? Was it an adopted well, deal? It's a sad story. Yeah. Uh, my wife found him at work on her campus uh, consoling his dead sibling, and uh, just meowing uncontrollably. See, and a lot of that happens because of unwanted litters of kittens, yeah, right? Yeah. All right. Well, there may be a solution for a lot of that. Now, we say you spayed and neuter your pets. Follow, I was going to say you could follow Bob Barker's advice. Yeah. Uh, there are an estimated 600 million domestic cats in the world. And did you know that 80% of them are feral or stray? 600 million cats Jeez. in the world. 80% of them are feral or stray animals. Now, spaying and neutering, as we know, Number one thing, certainly that helps prevent homeless kittens and overcrowded animal shelters. However, there's a new study. Scientists have announced a potential new method of, wait for this, Jeff, feline contraception that does not involve being spayed. 
Uh, and it's showing early promise. Long-lasting contraceptive injections that prevent ovulation. Okay? So, as they say, uh, Bill Swanson, the director of animal research at the Cincinnati Zoo, said the impetus of proof-of-concept study was to really address the cat and dog overpopulation issue and the euthanasia of a lot of these unwanted animals in shelters. The best way to avoid euthanasia is to not have all these animals that don't have homes. So they started this, and like with most things, they started with lab lab rats mm-hmm. testing it, uh, giving mice uh, these doses of this hormone function. And it's a much to our surprise, it essentially shut down most ovarian activity in rodents and made them completely infertile. So we thought, well, this is an interesting tool, but what can we use it for? So they tried it with cats, and it worked. So, all right, feline contraception. That's not just the name Ooh. of a band there in Austin. You know, it's it's actual possibility. Now this is disgusting. Somebody said cat tastes like chicken. You did, yeah. Um, so he said, put that banner next to the director's cup banner about the uh, the pollution there. <laughs> so, so uh, anyway, it's, and, right, it's hanging right next to the NIT championship banner. Yeah, somebody said, hey, go frogs shake at Mickey Mickey D's. No, it's a grimace, <laughs> but he is purple. Second hour of Life the Tower coming up on the horn. <laughs> <laughs> 